Chapter Three of the World's Lumber Room by Selina Gay. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three: Dustmakers, Wind, Waves, Rain. Of late years, a new way of grinding and etching glass has been invented by an American. Instead of the usual acid, he employs fine quartz sand, which is driven against the glass by a blast of air and in from ten to fifteen seconds removes all the polish from the surface window glass exposed near the seashore soon loses its polish in like manner from the natural sandblast which so often drives against it but the artificial sandblast not merely depolishes but actually cuts through substances harder than the sand itself a solid block of corundum for instance which is but little inferior to the diamond in point of hardness may be bored to the depth of an inch and a half in five-and-twenty minutes while a quarter of an inch of hard steel may be cut through in ten minutes and in the course of an hour a piece of marble half an inch thick can be covered with an elaborate open-work pattern such as it would take many days to produce by the ordinary process and now let us see what nature has accomplished by means of her sandblast which has been in operation for ages past in the neighbourhood of suez the ground is thickly covered with red sand which is so fine as to be set in motion by the slightest breath of air even on a still day it looks as if a thin cloud of smoke were constantly sweeping over the surface while if the wind be but moderately strong it is almost impossible to face it owing to the cutting sharpness of the sand with which it is laden and the hands when held close to the ground at such times tingle unbearably for the same reason footnote concerning an illustration of a sand glacier overwhelming a garden in elbow bay bermudas sir wyville thompson says that the sand has entirely filled up a valley and is steadily progressing inland in a mass about twenty-five feet thick on its path from the beach it has covered a wood of cedars End of footnote. nature's sandblast is indeed a powerful engine for it has pitted and polished the upper surface of every rock and stone in the desert besides so smoothing and rounding many a boulder that it looks as if it had been rolled about in the sea in other parts of the world a glance at the rocks on the coast is often enough to tell one the prevailing direction of the wind so much have they suffered on that side at heard island the sandblast has cut the rocks into tree-like shapes in the bermudas it has given them an artificial appearance as of being cut and dressed by a mason's chisel in a pass to the south of the great salt lake the hills are worn away and the rocks polished by the ceaseless scouring of the sand driven against them from the west and in an island in lake karakul not only has the surface of the hard sandstone suffered considerably but some of the rocks have been drilled through by the sand-laden wind from the north then again stones have been brought from lyle's bay near wellington new zealand many of which the uninitiated would certainly imagine to have been shaped by human hands so strongly do they resemble the knives arrowheads spearheads etc of what is called the stone age all have sharp cutting edges and their facets seem to have been chiselled with careful attention to symmetry 
yet the only chisel used upon them has been the sand of the bay and the hands which guided it were the two winds there dominant which have urged the sand against opposite sides of the stone in turn each grain of sand chipping away its infinitesimal bit of stone and in the end sculpturing these singular forms so much for the work done by wind-driven sand we shall see presently that it is no less effectual when urged by water the waves of the sea, indeed, as they thunder against the cliffs, are powerful enough to do a large amount of rough work without assistance, but what tremendous blows they must deal when they rush up to a height of perhaps a hundred feet, laden, as of course they often are, not only with sand and pebbles, but even with large stones. When especially furious, they will tear down piers and jetties, and carry away long lengths of sea-wall, and at all times they are more or less busy undermining the cliffs, and when these at last fall in by their own weight, the fragments are dashed one against the other, broken into smaller fragments, rolled and rounded into pebbles and ground into sand, and perhaps swept farther along the coast and cast up as beds of sand, gravel or shingle. With all their fuss and fury, however, the waves are usually unable to keep pace with the silent workers above, frost, thaw, atmosphere, etc., and accordingly, though the cliffs are hollowed into caverns here and there, they do not on the whole overhang the sea but slope away from it, showing that the wear and tear proceed after all at a more rapid rate above than below. Perhaps the largest shingle-bed in the world is that which lies on the east coast of Patagonia, and is between six and seven hundred miles in length. Its average width is two hundred miles, and its average thickness fifty feet, which in at least one place is increased to more than two hundred feet. And if the pebbles alone, without the accompanying sand and mud, were piled together, they would make a great mountain-chain running water when provided with a due amount of sand or gravel is capable of undermining and rounding the hardest rocks as we shall see more particularly when we come to speak of the rivers but we have first to say something of their mother the rain what happens after an ordinary shower for a time the surface is wet and there may be puddles in the hollows but if the soil be a light one all traces of the rain soon disappear, and we say it has dried up. Every drop that has fallen is somewhere, however, and it has certainly not all gone back to the air in the form of vapour, though in hot or windy weather so much may do so that the soil will benefit but little. The hotter the air, the more water it can take up and hold in the form of invisible vapour but it can never hold more than a certain quantity at any given temperature, and when it has taken up this utmost quantity it is said to be saturated. In our damp island the air is often saturated with moisture, which is not an agreeable state of things, but more unpleasant still is it when the air contains less than half the saturating quantity, for it will suck up moisture wherever it finds it, and therefore takes it not only from the ground but from vegetation and even our bodies making us feel dried up and wretched 
in the african deserts where the very air as well as the ground is parched with thirst the traveller finds that his lips crack and bleed his whole body burns and his skin is dried till it bursts in a hundred places even then however the air is not absolutely dry though it contains perhaps not more than a fifteenth of the saturating quantity if it were quite dry no animal or vegetable could exist in it but besides preserving all living things from being dried to chips the moisture of the air also benefits us in another way by keeping the earth both cool and warm by day it acts as a screen to moderate the fierce heat of the sun and by night it serves as a blanket to keep in some of the heat received during the day and accordingly where the air is comparatively dry as in the desert the nights are intensely cold while the days are scorching hot when warm air laden with moisture rises into higher and colder regions or meets a current of colder air some of the moisture becomes liquid and condenses into a cloud of very minute globules this is what happens in the case of our breath on a cold day and though whales have been popularly believed to suck in the jets of water which they throw up they too really discharge only breath the moisture of which condenses and falls down like a fountain from a very fine rose or a shower of rain from a cloud and this brings us back to the shower whose history we are going to investigate part of it then has returned to the air part has been sucked up by the roots of trees etc and the remainder sinks farther into the ground and goes on sinking until it meets with something to stop it in a very light porous soil the water drains through so rapidly that none but the least thirsty plants get enough to satisfy them and the ground is consequently barren if on the other hand the soil be close and impervious like clay very little water will sink in and the greater part will either stand in ruts and puddles until sucked up by the air or run away to feed the nearest ditch or sink through some bed of sand at a distance but though clay usually lets but little water pass through yet it parts with so much of its own moisture in hot dry seasons that it gapes in all directions and when the rain comes much of it escapes through these cracks in one way or other then a great deal of rain sinks into the ground and when its downward progress is arrested by some impenetrable bed it soaks through the soil sideways and sometimes travels many miles before it finds an outlet while by dint of often using the same road it frequently wears for itself an open channel along which it flows as rapidly as the rivers above ground do in theirs that this must be the case is evident from the fact that a large increase of water is observed in certain wells and fountains as for instance at nimes so soon after rain has fallen some miles off that it is impossible it should have passed through soil however porous moreover in some places the water from time to time throws up seeds vegetables freshwater shells and even fishes which have evidently travelled a long way underground as much sometimes as one hundred and fifty miles and this of course can only be by open channels 
where such channels do not exist the water spreads about in all directions in search of an outlet which it finds perhaps in the face of a cliff the side of a hill or at the bottom of a slope so trifling as not to deserve the name of hill where however the whole face of the country is as flat as a table there of course no springs can come to the surface and the water remains locked up in its subterranean reservoirs and where there are no springs there are neither brooks nor streams nor rivers and the inhabitants must either sink wells or catch and store the rain as it falls but it is as dust-makers that we must now consider the springs and in this capacity they are often very active as they flow underground they tear up and carry away in the form of mud some of the clay etc over which they pass thus undermining the rocks above which in course of time sink down or subside but if the bed over which the water flows be as it often is a sloping one something else is very apt to occur for if the upper beds be of sand chalk or any other porous rock they become so heavy after much rain that large masses often slip down over the greasy clay beneath which instead of offering any resistance helps them down just as the tallowed planks help to launch a ship landslips of this kind have occurred at various places along the english coast and not long ago one took place at Kreitch Cliff near Matlock. The limestone of which the hill consists rests upon a sloping bed of soft clay, which was rendered softer and more slippery still by unusually heavy rain. Cracks opened in the hillside, and in some cases grew from a few inches to yards in width. Soon after, the cliff was seen to be in motion and great masses of limestone many tons in weight dashed down the hill with a roar like thunder and swept away the trees in their path as if they had been so much grass many million tons of rock were carried down in this way but though a landslip of this kind is alarming enough it is a mere trifle compared with what takes place in other parts of the world as for instance in switzerland where the diableret a mountain which is limestone above and soft shale below has lost three out of its five peaks and almost filled the valley with its ruins in many mountainous districts landslips are of constant occurrence in the wet season and the sides of the white mountain new hampshire u s a are deeply furrowed and scarred by the masses of earth etc which have been hurled down them in this case while part of the mountain itself is sometimes carried away the landslip more often consists of the loose upper surface the cap of soil in fact with the forest trees growing in it which is stripped off to a depth of fifteen twenty or thirty feet leaving the rock quite bare over an area sometimes of many acres another curious form of landslip is that of the famous stone rivers of east island one of the falklands which are produced not by any extraordinary convulsion but by the wear and tear of every day these stone rivers at a distance much resemble glaciers and vary in width from a few hundred yards to a mile or two while the irregular blocks of stone of which they are composed are from two to twenty feet long 
they are derived from the bands of quartzite of the ridges above some of which are very hard and others so soft that they pass into crumbling sandstone as the latter are worn and washed away by rain frost etc the compact bands are left as long projecting ridges along the crests and flanks of the hill ranges until at last deprived of support they give way at the joints and fall from their places then when once they are embedded in the soil the whole mass creeps down even the gentlest slope and so fills the valleys but rain does more than produce springs and landslips a heavy fall will do a certain amount of direct damage even in this temperate climate by washing away gravel and making watercourses down the sides of the hills and along the roads but in the tropics its operations are on a much larger scale there it comes down not in drops but in strings and is often so heavy that fresh water may be scooped up from the surface of the sea after seven hours rain in brazil on one occasion there were torrents rushing down every slope the water streamed through the roofs and out at the doors and it was feared that the whole village of capalhinha would be washed away at such times the rain descends in streams so dense that the level ground is quite unable to absorb it and is quickly covered with a sheet of water while it rushes down the hills in torrents of such volume as to wear deep channels in their sides and to wash away all the mould from the rocks a few miles from sydney where the soil is friable a chasm twenty feet deep and twenty yards across has been scooped out by the rain in the course of a dozen years or so and the blue mountains of australia have been cut into extraordinary deep gullies and chasms by the same agent it is not often possible to distinguish between the effect of driving rain and that of running water as the two are generally combined but in several places notably in the ravine of finsterbach columns of hardened mud from twenty to a hundred feet in height have been cut out and separated from the terrace of which they formed part by the action of rain alone a similar phenomenon on a larger scale may be seen among the wasatch mountains of the western states of america where pinnacles some of them four hundred feet high fringe the bank of the south river for miles the plum pudding stone of which they are composed rounded pebbles cemented together by clay and sandstone is liable to crack in dry weather and the rain eating its way down through these cracks wears long grooves in the softer stone which it meets with below a cap of harder stone usually remains for a while on the top of the pinnacle and protects it from the weather but when this is blown or worn away the whole monument crumbles down by degrees a thickness of four hundred feet and some square miles in extent of solid rock is entirely gone with the exception of these pinnacles but though worn down by the effect of rain and weather it has been removed by running water End of chapter three